You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. Hi, this is Janet Willis. This is the second episode of my series about God's city, New Jerusalem. The city of peace, that's what the term Jerusalem means. But present-day Jerusalem defies the meaning of its name. It's the most fought-over piece of real estate anywhere in the world. God reveals his heart when he says, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. That's Luke 13.34. Jesus even wept over Jerusalem. He said, If you had only known on this day, even you, the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. That's Luke 19.41. The Bible uses the term Jerusalem over 600 times. Sometimes it refers to what was then present-day Jerusalem. Sometimes it refers to a heavenly Jerusalem. And sometimes it refers to a future Jerusalem on earth. As we carefully examine what the Bible says about Jerusalem, we'll see how its future ultimately relates to our future. John said, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. That's Revelation 21.2. There is a heavenly Jerusalem that is someday going to come down to earth. As we compare scriptures from all over the Bible, we'll see how prophecies about Jerusalem, prophecies that are still unfulfilled, relate to this new Jerusalem. When the Bible speaks of the future of this city, it's going to have new names. Isaiah says someday Jerusalem will be called the city of righteousness, a faithful city. That's 1, verse 26. Jeremiah says future Jerusalem will be called the throne of the Lord. That's 3, verse 17. Zechariah gives this prophecy. God says, I will return to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth and the mountain of the Lord of hosts will be called the Holy Mountain. That's 8 verse 3. Okay, what makes Jerusalem so special? My dad was in real estate, and he said the three most important things in real estate are location, location, location. What is it about this city, this location, that sets it apart from all others? In the Old Testament, God declared, I have chosen Jerusalem that my name might be there. 2 Chronicles 6.6 6. In human terms, we could say that God has boldly put his reputation on the line. Furthermore, God chose the location of the present earthly Jerusalem, or Zion, to be the future location of his permanent home. Psalm 132 says, for the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his habitation. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. That's verse 13 and 14. Forever 
That's pretty profound. The Bible contains other prophecies that emphasize the permanence of this promise. God says, Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day and will become my people. Then I will dwell in your midst and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. The Lord will possess Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Zechariah 2 verse 10 to 12. The prophet Joel says, Judah will be inhabited forever and Jerusalem for all generations. That's 3 verse 20. This is a Jerusalem that will last forever and God himself will dwell there. During the prophet Jeremiah's lifetime, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed, but God gave him a prophecy that was very specific. God said, Because they have called you an outcast, saying, It is Zion, no one cares for her. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob and have compassion on his dwelling places, and the city will be rebuilt on its ruin. That's Jeremiah 30, 17 and 18. The Hebrew word for rebuilt can mean set up. The phrase on its ruin is the single Hebrew word tell, which is now used as an archaeological term, meaning the site of a ruined city. In the very next chapter, Jeremiah goes on to explain some key details about this future Jerusalem. When this new city is set upon the site of the old city, it will be much larger. He names specific places to give the extent of its size. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city will be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate. The measuring line will go out farther, straight ahead to the hill Gareb. Then it will turn to Goa, 31, verse 38 and 39. The people who heard Jeremiah's prophecy realized this enlargement of Jerusalem meant the topography of their land would be changed. The measuring line going straight out to a hill implies that a valley will be filled in. This has yet to be fulfilled. Zechariah gives more information about this expansion. He gives a dramatic prophecy that describes massive topographical changes that will occur in the future, not only to Jerusalem, but to the entire area surrounding it. All the land will be changed into a plain from Geba to Rimmon south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem will rise and remain on its site, from Benjamin's gate as far as the place of the first gate to the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses. People will live in it, and there will no longer be a curse, for Jerusalem will dwell in security. That's Zechariah fourteen ten to 11 This large portion of land from Geba to Rimmon will be raised up as a plateau, preparing a unique and exalted portion of land, a base for the new city of Jerusalem. This is measurable, and it doesn't fit on the present-day topography. Ezekiel has a very important vision that harmonizes beautifully with Zechariah's prophecy. 
The prophet Ezekiel is transported into the future to actually see the results of the topographical changes that Jeremiah alludes to and Zechariah explains. Ezekiel says, In the visions of God, he brought me into the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain. That's 40, verse 2. Ezekiel later calls this plateau, the specially designated piece of real estate, the holy allotment. While Ezekiel is standing on this elevated land, God tells him, This is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I will dwell among the sons of Israel forever. The word throne means the seat of Christ's government or his capital. Not only will it be a political center, but it will be a spiritual center as well. All of this property will be considered not just holy, but most holy. God tells Ezekiel, This is the law of the house. Its entire area on top of the mountain all around shall be most holy. In the middle of this holy allotment plateau will be a future temple. This will be the place of worship for the entire world. About this future worship center, God says, My house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. Isaiah 56, 7. At the south end of the holy allotment, separate from the temple, is a specially designated piece of property for a city. I'm going to repeat Ezekiel 40, verse 2, but give the full context this time. Ezekiel says, In the visions of God, he brought me into the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain, and on it to the south there was a structure like a city. The area for this city is square at its base. Ezekiel has an angelic guide who gives detailed measurements of this, for the holy allotment, for the temple, for the city at the south end of the holy allotment. It can all be mapped out. You might want to check out my YouTube videos and books where I have made maps of all this. Ezekiel describes the city's gates, three on each of the four sides. Each gate is named for one of the tribes of Israel. On the north, a gate for Reuben, a gate for Judah, a gate for Levi. On the east, gates for Joseph, Benjamin, and Dan. On the south, gates for Simeon, Issachar, Zebulun. On the west, gates named for Gad, Asher, and Naphtali. That's Ezekiel 48, verse 30 to 34. At the conclusion of his tour, Ezekiel hears a profound proclamation. The name of the city from that day shall be, The Lord is there. Ezekiel 48, 35. That's the last verse in his book. The very name of the city is a vivid declaration that within this city the once broken fellowship of God with man will be gloriously restored. And it's not only restored, but restored permanently from that day on. God promised that he would again dwell in our midst, and here is that fulfillment, that dream come true, a genuine happy ever after. Now, John had a vision of a city too, and that's the one we're most familiar with. In the book of Revelation, John also describes a vision of the future. He says, God carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. Sounds a lot like Ezekiel. That's Revelation 21.10. And then, like Ezekiel, while John was standing on this elevated land, God showed him a city. 
It was the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Same chapter, 21 verse 10. The spirits of the righteous made perfect live in this city. Hebrews 12, 23 tells us. In other words, presently, when believers die, they have the privilege to go to this heavenly city. When John saw into the future and the city was descending to earth, it was already full of immortal inhabitants. John says that he heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Revelation 21.3 That's a pretty good emphasis, among three times. Then John relates an amazingly detailed description of the city, and these details are almost identical to the details given by Ezekiel. In my book, I have a chart comparing the two cities. John specifically says there's no need of a temple in this new Jerusalem. That's 21 verse 22. This correlates with Ezekiel's vision of the holy allotment. The temple and the city are separate, but in close proximity to one another. Ezekiel talks of this distinction of two separate places within the vicinity of each other, a place for the city and a separate place for a temple. When God sets up his kingdom on the earth, the temple apart from the city will be the worship center for mortals. The righteous immortals live in God's dwelling place, the New Jerusalem. They have no need of a temple because they have the incredible privilege of direct access to God. Ezekiel says, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place also will be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. That's Ezekiel 37, verse 26 and 27. The word also is critical here. It clarifies that there will be two separate places, God's sanctuary as well as his dwelling place. The overwhelming number of similarities between these two visions compels us to consider that Ezekiel and John are talking about the same city. Scholars have seen this connection, but have objections to this idea primarily concerning the timing and the size of the city. These arguments will be carefully examined in my upcoming podcasts. At this point, it should be noticed that when Scripture is compared with Scripture, Ezekiel's entire holy allotment could technically be referred to by the name Jerusalem, seeing as it includes residential sections similar to the greater metropolitan area of any large city. When Ezekiel looked at the south end of the holy allotment, he specifically said he saw a structure like a city. From here on, in this series, I will define that structure as the new Jerusalem, and I will attempt to defend that proposition. In review, I want to mention that my last podcast, I talked about how Jesus spoke words that correlated perfectly with Ezekiel's words. Jesus said, In my Father's house are many dwelling places, in John 14. Many dwelling places sounds like a city. My father's house sounds like a single structure. And that's the exact words Ezekiel was using. A structure like a city. 
a single structure, yet so huge that it was like a city. Also, in my last podcast, I mentioned how all this information about Jerusalem's future are like puzzle pieces scattered all over the table, actually scattered all over the Bible. I've tried to separate the pieces into categories. That's sort of how you would work a jigsaw puzzle anyway. Now, that's not always simple because some verses deal with several categories. But I tried to separate them into these categories, and this episode was particularly on the category of location. I mentioned how my dad said the three most important things in real estate are location, location, location. I figured I better tackle that topic first. My next podcast will continue the topic of location and cover questions like this. Number one, does this new Jerusalem already exist? Some people question that. Number two, where is this new Jerusalem now? In outer space? Outside our universe? Can we even know? And number three, will the city actually land on earth? Some say it will just be suspended. After I finish the topic of location, other topics about New Jerusalem will be the subject of future podcasts. They will include categories such as the overall shape of this structure, the size of it, and the timing of when the city will arrive. The Bible does give information about all of this, and it's a fascinating study. Most important, it strengthens our view of Scripture, showing the unity and precision of God's Word. And it strengthens our view of God, seeing His compassionate care to give us a clear view of the long view. Till next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode.